Hello, lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network. And uh, I guess right at the top here, let me wish everybody a very, very happy QWI 200 Eve. Yes, tomorrow, Friday, December the 9th, we will be releasing the first installment of the QWI 200 for 2022 and then we're just going to make a whole week out of it like we uh, like we've started doing uh with last year. So, always an exciting time. And speaking of exciting, I am was very happy to have the chance to sit down uh with the great Bambina one more time here for today's show. Um also known as Rosie Fingers, uh, co-producing shows with Full Queer out in the Bay. Tag teaming with Laura Frazier as Temple Run the Bases, um, you know, wrestling here and there on the West Coast. Um, we sit down and, and chat about um, what the last couple of years have, have been like for her. Obviously, you know, there was the whole controversy and situation involving Commander Sterling last year, and you know them getting back into the the world of pro wrestling. Um, over the last year or so, and now to the point where they're working behind the scenes with with full queer and trying to find where they still fit and contribute in in the world of pro wrestling right now, as they've gone through a lot of struggles. And I don't know. I always enjoy the chance to sit down uh, and talk with Bambina. It's usually uh, very very real, very very interesting. So you definitely have that to look forward to. I'm going to keep this opening segment very short, <laughs> shorter than normal, definitely uh, for multiple reasons. One. Um, I, if you can't tell from my voice, I got COVID and yo, it sucks. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, luckily we recorded this interview with Bambina before I uh, got COVID. So my voice doesn't sound this terrible for the next hour and a half or so. Um, I'll also give um some trigger warnings here at the beginning. We do mention this and give trigger warnings in the midst of the, the interview, but, um, Kind of early on, around like the I'd say like 16, 17, 18 minute mark, there is a brief discussion of uh, uh, suicidal ideation and self harm. So if those uh, are things that make you uncomfortable, you don't think you can handle that content. Definitely, you just uh, skip a few minutes ahead in the conversation uh, and, and move past that for yourself. Yeah. But with that, I think uh, we are safe to, to jump straight into this interview with Great Bambina. Y'all enjoy. All right, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And I'm very pleased to have a returning guest this week. It's been a little over two years since since we've had her on the podcast, but always a great time to sit down and catch up with the one, the only, the great Bambina. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I It's so good to be back. Um, yeah, it's been so long. I feel like, I almost feel like I've been like several different people um like in the time since we've last talked um so i hope you i hope you like the newer me <laughs> trust me i think i think there there isn't a version of you that that would not 
bring a smile to my face, oh, honestly. So no, I, I'm great. I'm really happy to sit down and, and have another chance to talk to you about stuff because it's been two years, but mm-hmm. a lot has happened in that two year period. Um, you know, everything from, from in-ring stuff to out of the ring stuff. And now like you taking like a, a sort of behind the scenes role as well as your um, on camera role mm-hmm. in the pro wrestling world. I mean, it's it's been an eventful period for you, so to speak. Yeah, I. It's interesting. Wrestling is interesting because you know, interesting is like not interesting, but like wrestling is very grueling. It is very taxing, and it's for a lot of people. I think wrestling can be the source of chaos in their life, just with the traveling and you know, injuries and, you know, seeing political conflicts. But for me, wrestling has been like the one uh, constant in my life. So in January, I'll be hitting up on five years of being in, uh, of training and wrestling and, and being in the business earnestly. Congratulations. And I mean, in that, thank you. In that time, I've like survived a, a, a car crash and an arson and, um, the pandemic and like 10 relationships exploding in my face, like wrestling. I'm very fortunate that like wrestling for me is the one constant in my life as like the rest of my life is just like sort of caught in the maelstrom of late capitalism. Yeah, no, I could definitely understand that. And just based off of, you know, previous conversations that we've had it, it feels like wrestling kind of is that like you know for lack of a better term like a, a security uh a place of security or a place of comfort for for you mm-hmm. yeah. yeah no i mean i it you know it's wild to think that you've gone through all of that in just a five-year span less than five-year span at this point now since stepping into the ring and still going strong i mean you're wrestling with 5cc up in washington you're you know you wrestled uh with full queer back during uh the summer and early fall mm-hmm. you know you've been at best of the west uh, if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. um and in multiple other places um i don't know like it just seems like you have this determination to not let anything negative outside of wrestling really come in and take away this thing that you've fallen in love with Thank you. I, I guess I would. So, how well read are you on the works of Camus and Sartre? <laughs> uh, let's put it this way: I read a lot more back in my early twenties, and I haven't yeah. touched either in about a decade. So, I will definitely need a little bit of refresher. No, it's like that when you're reading Sartre in your twenties, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. you know, young, you know. Um, uh, you know, young mind on the up, you know, on the up and coming, you know, when you're reading it in your forties, you were like, all right. Okay. Gramps, you know, like, um, <laughs> but like, so um, like one of the, one of the defining aspects of absurdism and how it differs from like nihilism, existentialism, et cetera, is that absurdism kind of takes the stance that, um, life has no inherent meaning but and no inherent purpose but there is value in pursuing a purpose even if ultimately that purpose is moot you know because you know eventually 
the sun is going to expand and it's going to like, you know, our, our planet will die. Um, you know, and, and it's, po it's possible that, you know, the universe will, you know, billions and billions of years from now, you know, experience heat death. Like that renders all of the goals that we pursue moot ultimately, but like the, the power of that purpose in the here and now, like can be very transformative and it can, you know, not just like occupy your busy mind, but like there's something profound in the pursuit of purpose in the midst, in the midst of that, like sort of cataclysmic indifference of the universe. And so I really, you know, when I stopped doing political work and I focused on wrestling, like that became my purpose. And like, no matter what happens, I feel drawn to come back to that purpose because that is, you know, um, that I'm very, you know, I, you could positively spin it and make it as like, oh, well, Bambina is just very resilient, but it's more than I'm very selfish. Like this is my purpose <laughs> and you don't get to take it from me. Um, I guess, you know, I guess I'm a libertarian in that regard. You can take my purpose from my cold dead hands. <laughs> I mean, I think a little bit of positive selfishness is, is perfectly fine in, in this context, you know? Yeah. Like you want to hold on to a thing that you've dedicated yourself to that you've invested so much of your own time, energy, and emotion into that you don't want to have something taken away from you without any real like control from mm -hmm. from yourself. Like and, and speaking to like this this idea of of purpose in the face of uh the heat death of the universe, it reminded oddly enough, it reminded me of, of something that I pull back the curtain a little bit talking to my therapist yesterday yeah. <laughs> about you know like how just as human beings we have this something baked into our brains that you know we have to have um something to aspire to in a way mm -hmm. we have to have something there that just motivates us to do something because you're right like at the end of the day no matter how long you want your legacy to last in this world it everyone's hits a brick wall at some point based off of you know when the sun takes us all down um yeah so it, it, i have a funny yeah, i have a funny go ahead. story about my therapist if you'd like oh yeah go ahead okay so the last therapist that i had um so she was this like very bubbly Southern woman, um, cis hetero. I didn't, I didn't hold that against her at the time, but I remember on our first session, she was like, okay, so you have two choices. You can either live on an Island where everyone loves you, but you don't love yourself. Or you can be on the Island where everybody hates you, but you love yourself. And like I, you know, at first I was like, well, obviously the one with everyone that loves me because then I can just work on loving myself. And she's like, no, you can't. You can only pick one. And I was like, but I already live on the island where everyone hates me. And I just like fought her on this for like weeks. And I this whole time I was like, oh, you just you're just this bubbly southern white woman, you know, you you've got it, probably got a husband and kids, and life's great for you because you're not facing the struggle I have you know, as a trans, as a, as a lesbian transgender person. And I fought this for months. And then eventually like she wore me down and I was like, 
the island where everyone hates me, but I love myself. And she's like, good, correct. And she gave me this affirmation. And then I just realized that she just V for vendetted me, you know? <laughs> Like she just subjected me to emotional torture until I came around to realizing that everyone hates me. Like it's hopeless, whatever, but I would find the strength to carry on. And I, you know, I, I haven't seen a therapist since, uh, since her, just because I, how do you top that? You know? Yeah. No, it sounds like an experience. (laughs) Lord, that, that is an interesting kind of, thing though to like not necessarily that that she like you know pushed you towards this realization in a way but just the realization in and of itself and how it relates to the the climate that mm-hmm. we're in right now you know yeah. like i know like i'm as a non-binary person who very much still you know passes for the the gender i was assigned at birth um you know i I still experience stuff like that, but nowhere near what um, the the outright trans community has, obviously, in recent years, whether it be sports, healthcare, just simply, you know, the 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 advocating for violence against the community, what we just saw in Colorado, you know, less than two weeks yeah. ago. Like, it just, it's a very astute observation in a way um but but an obvious one that like you're already living on the island where everyone hates you and it's mm-hmm. just a matter of like what can you do for yourself to inter- to not have that not internalize that to yeah. the point that it is what it defines you yeah i do i do want to just gently rebuke that like there's no hierarchy of trans community you and i are just as trans as each other <laughs> I I um, know. I guess it's okay, just okay. All right. Yeah, I all do. Right. I think it's just more so like you know, because I do have to check that privilege sometimes. Because like I said, I very much can still pass for a man in public, you know, and and I don't think, especially being white, like I don't think that I run into the same level of of uh like verbal physical assault that other people do, um, just on it in my simple day-to-day existence, you know? So I do want to check that there, but you're right. There is no hierarchy. Have you, has, has anyone ever suggested to you to like, like change the spelling of your name into something like weird and incomprehensible to like telegraph that you are not, but that's a very common thing. <laughs> that is a very common thing. I luckily have dodged that bullet to, to this point. I um, mean, there's just put, you know, B R W H Y. If you did that, <laughs> I'm just saying, you could be marketing it a little harder. I could. I could get a podcast on iHeartRadio, maybe. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Who wants right. that? Anyway. Next question. Yes, let's move on from that terrible, terrible <laughs> aspiration that I de- that I honestly, like, no joke, do not have. Um. Anyway, so... But no, let's get back to you though, because like like you said, like you, you you went through this this process over the last couple of years of kind of like, you know, reminding yourself uh, and 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 holding on to this world of pro wrestling despite everything that you've been through, and I do want to talk to you about some of the work that that you've been doing, especially when it comes to to full queer, but I, I think the you know obviously one thing that is of major discussion here is the situation that happened between you and uh commander sterling yeah um a, a, a little over a year ago at this point 
um you know uh, and i'll pull back the curtain again a little bit here like you were setting up for like probably your biggest match of your career against jamie senegal mm-hmm. FICC right before all of that dropped after the uh the polyam cult party appearance there well that was the last time we talked was i was mm-hmm. doing the interview to promote that match exactly like we we spoke right before that and then about a week later like every like all of this stuff comes out and and this whole situation really develops into something that at least from the outside looking in has been a, a, you know a, a negatively impacted you um yeah can I talk to me about like this situation like where where you were at like how you how you handled it I know you put out the document there like you know talking about talking through like everything in very very minute and clear detail um, thank you yeah just talk to me about talk to me about the that whole sequence of events honestly um so i guess i guess just to catch anyone who is familiar up on it um so around 2013 2014 um i had like a i had a a really bad mental health break um and during the time that i was like you know i i you know a content warning i had like attempted suicide multiple times uh, over the course of a year and I wasn't the best version of me at the time I was in some really bad uh really bad codependent friendships I was in really bad I was a really bad roommate I was a really bad partner I was a really bad friend I crossed boundaries I was not the person I would want to be and I own that um something that is very common um there's this sort of um I want to kind of there's this sort of bluffing game in a sense that happens on social media and particularly amongst trans people and some you know some I've seen it happen to also LGBT people as a whole and also people of color particularly but when you know this this process by which people come out and they post receipts of of things about you um, with the explicit aim to you know, re- you know, get you fired from your job, get you removed from community spaces under the guise of safety. And one of the, you know, there's this constant sort of dial- discourse of like, okay, well, we, you know, a bunch of us have agreed that this person is unsafe and should not, and should not be allowed to have community. And, you know, then there's the other aspect of like, well, you, now this person, now you have basically singled this person out for violence um, by people who were already looking for justification to harass like trans people or people of color. Um, and you have, we have to like be mindful that these processes of calling people out, you know, before, before we called it cancel culture, we called it call out culture. Um, that was like its original term because it was like built around this idea of like naming and shaming people for the sake of, removing them from access to their community or from their jobs or relationships, whatever. And so I had this happen to me in 2014 and it was very traumatic for me. Um, I lost, you know, I lost my job. I lost my housing. I lost relationships. Um, I had multiple instances of people who started stalking me um, because of this, uh, because of of some of the claims. Um, And became very it became very difficult for me to kind of function in community and I kind of became 
sort of um, I became sort of a recluse and a hermit um, as a result, I guess. And then there's this other aspect of it. There's this sort of comorbidity to it where turfs just make shit up all the time. I, every trans person I know and I'm friends with, I have heard a rumor that they have done X, Y sort of sex crime. Like it's, it is very, I remember when, when Laura Jane Grace came out as trans, there were anonymous Tumblr like accounts that popped up out of nowhere saying that she was a rapist. It's just very, it's very common. Um, it's a very common tactic for the same reason of like, we all kind of agree socially that rapists and abusers should die. And that, you know, when we talk about restorative justice, when we talk about transformative justice, we all kind of, there's a sort of consensus that those people are not included. And so we kind of, when we, the, the dissemination of those accusations, especially in like online forums where there's, there's not really like, I mean, sexual violence is difficult to like, quote, prove, you know, to, to prove through the judicial system even with like, you know, our modern technology. And if you're just doing it all on the internet through social media posts, it's even harder to verify. So I had, a, um, there were a few instances where anonymous Twitter accounts, which are now gone um, and have since been deleted or removed, made very gross claims about me. Um, claims that I feel are very obvious that they are, for example, one of the, you know, one of the, the, the rumors that, you know, turfs have posted about me online is that I like intentionally roofie cisgender lesbians to assault them. And the, you know, the thing about it that, you know, strikes me is like, um, and, and this will come up later is that like a lot of these, a lot of these like sort of rumor mills that happen there's always this, there's, there's often this element that like a trans person is sexually assaulting a cisgender person because that is the only reason we could have access to them in an intimate setting. And so I, for obvious reasons, like um, was not super keen to when I started wrestling and when I was able to put all that behind me, like five or so years later, not super keen to tell people about it. It was super upsetting. I have been in and out of therapy for almost 10 years now over that. Like, it's hard, you know, it's, how do you explain to a stranger? Hi, so I know that you think that you're, that like people are down with the cause of trans people because they use the right pronouns, but some of us get accused of fucking dogs. And that's just a thing people accuse us of or grooming children or being pedophiles. And that is a thing that happens. And it, you know, because it works, you know? Yeah. Because like, it's one of those things where, I mean, look at the Colorado, sh you know, look at the Colorado shooting, you know, we already have people like Tim Pool being like, oh, well, this was a grooming event. Like there were, you know, there were, there was alcohol and it was, you know, all ages or whatever. So like, it is a grooming event, you know, like the, this rhetoric works and it's working now on a mainstream level, but this, these tactics of like accusing LGBT people of secretly being predators and groomers whatever that that's always happened and you don't need evidence to do that and like so with that with that big messy ball 
uh, and let me know if you think I've, if I need to sort of elaborate on anything. But the TLDR is, I, I had a situation where I had people come out and say that I was abusive to them. And a lot of what I felt their accusations of abuse were either did not constitute abuse or were just things that had never happened. But because of, you know, because of like the, the, the climate, you know, you never want to be that person who's like, well, I support abuse. I support, you know, victims and I support believers, but like, you know, when people say that I, you know, sexually abuse their guinea pig, don't believe them, which is a real thing that was acute that I was accused of. Yeah. Um, you know, like you don't, you never want to be in that position. So like really all you can do is just kind of like, all right, I guess just apologize over and over and over and hope no one ever brings it up. Um, and so, um, in, you know, and I guess I also want to circle back and mention that I have had multiple third party investigations into a lot of these like claims and rumors about me. Um, when I was a member of a local, you know, of a, of a very popular um, left-wing political organization here in America, my local chapter did a very thorough investigation. Um, I've had promoters who've done investigations to make sure I was clear before they booked me. Like, I, yeah, um, I don't know what more, what finer a sieve I can put myself through. I'm just trying to live my life. So, um, I was, uh, I befriended Commander Sterling and we, um, we, we were casual acquaintances for a while. Um, you know, I, I find, you know, it's, um, I know that like, if you look at me on the surface, I look like I'm freshly out, um, because I'm just like, I don't pass very well. You know, I like, um, I, I didn't change my voice when I transitioned, I'm still quite big and tall and have a deep voice. And I don't, you know, I, I don't look like Nikita Dragon. Um, and so it's very easy for people to assume, you know, because they, you know, they don't really, we don't talk a lot about the ways in which like fat phobia or like other forms of like oppression intersect with transphobia. So like people always think I'm just like freshly out, but like I've been trans, like, and I've been out and doing it for like 20 years. And so I always feel this like, there's this um, tendency I have to like uh, where I like befriend someone who is newly out, newly sort of newly acquainted to the struggles of LGBT people, particularly trans people, but also has a massive and has a much more massive influence and more friends than me, despite, you know, not being in the community as long as I have. Um, and that was kind of the situation I found myself with Sterling. Um, uh, Sterling asked me, offered for me to come out, fly out from the Bay Area to New York on two weeks notice to wrestle on the Polyam Cult Party 4, um, which I'm sure you can imagine is fiscal murder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the time I was working two full-time jobs and it cost me like, I basically like depleted my savings to make that happen mm. because it was a good opportunity. And I wanted to support this newly out person. I mean, newly out compared to me. And I wanted to show up for, for Sterling. Um, and I had never been to New York. Um, I heard they had good pizza. So I, 
And, and we had made this agreement that um, Sterling would, through their corporation, pay me back. So I put in thousands of dollars to make that trip happen. I get out there and we have this match and I was pretty happy with it. Um, and we have this match, I'm feeling good about it. Um, and then, you know, it's one of these things where like the first couple days, you know, uh, Sterling and I are talking about it. Sterling's very gushy, very emphatic, very friendly. And then I noticed that Sterling just stops responding to me um, and stops engaging with me. And I know where that, I know what that, I've been doing this long enough to know what that means. And so um, I just kind of put it away. And then I'm at work doing home care as a nurse. And, you know, I get this message from Sterling. Sterling creates a, a group chat with me and a bunch of their employees and just tells me that since I appeared on their show, on, on the Polyam Cult Party for our show, that they had received like DMs that I was an abuser and that they would rather I out myself rather than out me. And I tried explaining, um, you know, you've, you know, you read the, um, the document and also the, the text exchanges. I tried to sort of explain my, my, my point that this has happened a long time ago, that it was behind me, I've done work on myself. And also a lot of it is bullshit. And specifically that if you were to publish these again, <clears throat> and if you were to try and make this a thing again, it would open me up to like real violence. And we're getting to that part. That's that's the part I have not told anyone about, but we're get, we'll get to that part. And Sterling's attitude was basically, I had, you know, I just had an abusive relationship and you lied to me and you lied to MV Young by not telling us that this would happen. And so I have to out you. And, it, and um, I tried killing myself that day. Um, I think I had not told anyone yet. Actually, in, my, in the document that you read, I had written that, but a friend had, asked, had advised me to take that part out so that it wouldn't seem like I was manipulating people. But I tried killing myself that night. I was unsuccessful, as I typically am. And so then I wrote this document to kind of explain where I was coming from in preparation. Because I, in the past when this has happened and people have tried to bludgeon me with dirt that they have found because my roommates thought I was abusive because I slammed cabinet doors and I cooked too loud and I left my uh, second story window open in the summer uh, and risked the health of their pets. Um, you know, I, I've had so much taken from me over that. And I've had to alter my life so much because of that. And so I had to just assume that it was going to happen all over again. And so I had to write, I wrote this like detailed seven or eight page document detailing like the last like 10 years of my life and every mistake I feel I've made. And then when I published it, um, Sterling took the attitude of that I had misrepresented, that I had told them in private that I would quietly out myself. And then I changed 
uh, and then I changed my mind um, and misled them by not, you know, just quietly uh, removing myself from the wrestling community. And it was very clear in the conversations with them that that's what they wanted. They wanted me to remove myself from the wrestling community and from, and from that and remove myself as this like speck on their own credibility. It was very clear to me at the time that, that me as a person did not factor in at all this, that, you know, Sterling at the time was making like half a million a year or more on, um, you know, making tens of thousands of dollars every month on Patreon. And this was about protecting financial interests and protecting their own access to the wrestling space, which they did not deserve. Um, Sterling was not trained as a wrestler at the time and could have, if they had not, you know, been working with someone that they had practiced very specific spots with, could have hurt, you know, in, a, in, a, in an, another situation could have hurt them very badly. And for them to then try and gatekeep me on a thing that I felt they didn't have a right to. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like I was given that I was now being cheated out of my reimbursement. I was now being asked to retire and quit wrestling over something that nobody involved in the conversation, but me had been present for or witnessed. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't really feel like I had to, abide by all of their terms and so i i wrote this document kind of laying it all out kind of publishing um our screenshots so that people saw the real conversation that happened and so people can see for themselves like you know sterling pressuring me into sort of outing myself and retiring to sort of save their own reputation um and i have no regrets on that um i remember you know, I, when I said that I've been out for 20 years, I'm old enough to remember when Sterling was a right-wing edgelord and, you know, telling feminists to get acid thrown on their faces, you know, and mocking fat people. You know, I remember when Sterling was afforded this grace as a social justice, you know, paragon because they had done this work in public and they had changed and they'd stopped being like, you know, about you know they they had stopped being this bad person and they were afforded this grace and then they were going to deny that grace to me because you know being associated with someone who had you know quote a past was perhaps you know damaging to their aspirations of being a wrestling influencer um and i was right for the last year and a half i've been stalked um by a number of individuals who track where I am, who find out where I've been and where I go and send harassing messages to venues that I'm going to work at, to my friends, to my trainers. Um, they even uh, harassed a church uh, because I was going to be, a, I was going to wrestle on a church show and they sent threatening messages to the church staff Um like there are sometimes I need security when I wrestle because I have these like right wing, you know, LGBT equal groomer types who are now emboldened because of this thing that, you know, uh, Sterling kind of this Pandora's box that Sterling opened. Um, and I feel, yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel no remorse 
or recompense for sort of backing out of the, you know, sort of arrangement that they, we had kind of agreed to and calling them out and speaking my truth. Sorry. That was like what? 12 minutes. Sorry. <laughs> no, you were, you're totally fine. I mean, it's, it's a lot to unpack, honestly, as evidenced by, you know, what, what you just shared as well as the document that you put out at the time, you know, which I mean, I imagine going back and having to kind of relive all of that stuff to to get it down on 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 paper, so to speak, and, and put it out there for everyone to, you know, both defend yourself, but also kind of take responsibility for the person that you once were and show how you've grown in that way. That still can be very traumatizing. Um, and I and it's. Uh, it's it's sad to hear that that whole circumstance led you to to trying to kill yourself again in that that night but at the same time like i don't know it, it, just hearing you talk about it it sounds like that you had this like this sense of power over the situation in a way coming out of it i don't know if that's mm. correct to say so um so uh, a few years ago, before all this, um, this is before we met, I think, I was in a really bad car accident. I, my, my friends and I had, we had, we had really, really effed ourselves. We wrestled in Oakland Friday night and we drove up to, uh, and then we drove through the night all the way to Spokane, Washington. And then I wrestled three matches that night in a tournament with no sleep. And then um, we then tried to drive back to Oakland from Spokane overnight again without, without sleeping, without having a hotel room, anything. Um, and the driver uh, fell asleep at the wheel and flipped the car. Um, like the car flipped several, like I literally was, I had to like crawl out of of a car that had been like hurled through the air and landed upside down. And I was mostly fine. It was, it was, it was funny at the time, not funny now, but it was funny at the time because like the driver had been fucked up. My friend who was in the backseat had glass embedded in his head and had to be taken to surgery. And I broke a nail. And I was so fucked up about that broken nail. Like, I, like there was this part of me that like, I was, I was in shock that whole weekend. So we, we, we got taken to, we all crawled into the tow truck um, to go to the hospital. And then I, you know, I got examined and patched up in the hospital. And then like, I just had no, it was, I was numb the whole time until I came home. And the first thing I did when I got back on Monday was fix the broken nail. Um, and then it was like, once the nail got fixed, that's when I could process that I had nearly just fucking died. <laughs> um, there are times, and this is one of the reasons I need to see a therapist. There are times, especially during the pandemic where the isolation and just like the general vibe is so bad that there's this voice in me that tells me I did die and that I'm in hell. And that all of this is just hell. And when you tell yourself you're in hell for a couple years, eventually you just start to just be like, all right, if I'm in hell, 
if I'm dead, then I might as well. I might as well move forward and do the things I want to and keep training and keep practicing and keep pursuing my goals because the worst thing that could happen has already happened. And so in a lot of senses, I think of myself as ideologically a zombie. (laughs) Mm. I mean, when you put it that way, there really is nothing else to do, but keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes total sense. And, and, you know, obviously you've still been moving forward in, in pro wrestling since that time, but I can imagine there's definitely been some setbacks based yeah, off I mean, of everything that's happened. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, as you had mentioned, Jamie Senegal refused to wrestle me. So I got taken off of, um, off of the, you know, uh, the five CC show, which, you know, um, I was on the booking team at the time. And so it, it like doubly stung that I was like one of the people that arranged for this to happen. <laughs> Um, yeah, and other companies stopped booking me. Um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, unfriended me, stopped talking to me. Um, it was actually really, it was really isolating and I was really sad and I cried and drank a lot. Um, and there was a long time where I was just like, just kind of going through the motions and just like just waiting to die again, I guess. Um, and then I had this moment. I was at um, was it Scuttlebutt? Scuttlebutt was like a was like an offshoot of Without a Cause in Washington. And I was there. It was you know I I basically like almost overnight had to start over. I had gone from you know I had promoters trying to book me. I was supposed to come back for, you know, the next MV Young show, the the Woodstock show. I was going to go all these places. And then, you know, Sterling kind of called me out and I lost all that. So I had to start over. You know, I, I drew, I, <laughs> you know, I traveled all the way to Washington to wrestle on a dark match without pay. And not only wrestle on a dark match, wrestle, my opponent had wrestled at a place where I used to work. And then showed up late to the event and then bragged to me the whole time what an experience that was to get to wrestle at a place that I don't work anymore. And I was like there and I'm just like kind of just like shrugging it off. And, you know, a, a couple of people who totally iced me out after Sterling called me out made a point to come up and like try to say hi to me and be my friend. In fact, one of them tried to bring me onto his live stream that he was live streaming the event. He wanted me to come on and like talk with him and like interview him. And, you know, like I just hit this point of like, you know, people are just gonna people, man, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, you can only, you can only worry so much about pleasing people and making sure everybody likes you and people are going to behave the way that suits them, you know? Um, And so that, that kind of gave me the confidence to stop being a people pleaser and stop, you know, 
putting myself into situations where I was putting myself out there all so that it could be taken away from me. And now I'm just focusing on doing my own thing and having no apologies of no apologies, no, you know, just, you can't, you know, I already live on that Island, you know, and all I can, you know, I, I live on an Island where everyone hates me and that super sucks. And it is super impacted. It is it has fundamentally changed me as a person. I but I still have to get groceries. My dog still needs to be walked. You know, um, things need to be done. So like, I live on this island, but you know, like I can't. You know, there is no amount of of uh, there is no amount of like people pleasing or prostrating yourself you can do to people who already have made up their mind that you are scum that will like turn that around. They're either going to turn around on their own or not. Is there any hope from you that some of those relationships that you did lose, whether it be with promotions or with people um, in or out of pro wrestling, that that some of those can be um, rectified over time? I mean, probably, probably. I mean, my family were not into me being trans at all. Um, and it, they only came around on it when they saw that I was going to have a, a life without them. You know, something I always tell, something I always tell like young or newly out queer people who are feeling the isolation of being rejected by family or friends or whatever. Why do people like the Yankees? It's because they're <laughs> successful. No, why do, why do people like the Yankees? Yeah. They are everything wrong with professional sports everything wrong like the yankees ruined baseball why do we love them why are they so important why does george steinbrenner get to be on snl it's because people like them because they're winners and they're successful and when i came out to my family i got you know yeah like i had to leave i had to move like i couldn't live in a house full of people who didn't like respect me and accept me and like want to see me enriched, you know, it, you know, like I had to, I had to leave and I moved to California and I started doing my own thing. And like, now that I'm thriving to an extent, now everybody wants, now everybody wants it. Right. You know, when I told my father, I was trans the guy, like, stopped very short of threatening to murder me to prevent me from like spreading the LGBT ideology to my brothers, you know? And then, and now he tries every, everything he can (laughs) recently, his, his newest, oh man, his newest scheme is he has been low key hinting to the rest of my family that he has cancer, but he will not admit it unless I let him back into my life. Huh? Yeah. Wow. And where, how did you, how do we get from, you know, how do you go from there to, you know, how do you get from like, never speak to your brothers again, never speak to the children you helped raise as an older sibling to like, I need, I need you to see me before I can admit that I'm dying. Like there's, there's no, I, I just like, I'm a pessimist. 
you know i just spent like the last like two years having a guy with a history of like domestic assault and battery like hounding me from venue to venue threatening to show up and assault me i don't necessarily put a lot of stock in a lot of the like inner work of people like that so it's got to be for me it's got to be that i'm proving that i didn't need them to thrive and live and now they want in on it and i and it's going to be the same and it's you know and it's going to be the same thing it already it, it already has happened people who uh people who like you know dismissed me out of hand because of the people that i was friends with because of the people i trained with the people i supported like who iced me out and wouldn't talk to me and like would not shake my hand you know they come around when they see that i didn't i didn't need their approval in the first place and like that is that's just an aspect of you know i don't know that's just like that is that is an under that is a less spoken aspect of being queer it's just that like so much of why people dismiss you and reject you is because they think that they see you as a losing investment and so they don't want to invest in you and then once you invest in yourself they're going to come around and then you can decide whether or not you want to keep them in your life all right yens thank you so much for tuning into lgbt in the ring Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things but i do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is starting off with daniel quasar the progress pride flag designed by daniel quasar is a product of progress initiative you can find out more at quasar.digital a big thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahandthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboy otm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show the mr video game super show i co-host that with uh, twitch streamers slacker kite and lady Merwin every monday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific over on twitch.tv slash dead sun entertainment uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment, sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. It's very true. Um, but obviously there have been people that have, you know, championed you and, and stuck by you through all this. One of the people I know that's been that at least I've seen being one of the more vocal ones is uh, M Fear from the Grit and Glitter podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, how how important was it for you when like going through this to still see people like M, you know, and and later on like like Marco 
that have kind of like stuck by you within this wrestling world um and and have shown you that the level of support that they have that was like one of the biggest mind fucks was when i when i posted that the document and i sort of like laid it all out there i had this list of people that i was the most afraid of losing the friendship of and m fear was on that list and marco was on that list and those people a hundred percent of that list were the people who messaged me and were like are you okay i'm here for you i love you you know and it it's a great it was a good double lesson because one you know it was it was affirming um that i am someone who deserves solidarity and love but also really speaks to the efficacy of these tactics of isolating people of trying to use social media to like publicly punish people um in lieu of like other means of like conflict resolution and justice is that you know you can convince people you can basically gaslight people and make them believe that 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 people that they have like good long-standing like friendships with mean nothing if you are you know called out and you know i i'm not one of these people that believes like you know i'm not one of these people that's ranting against cancel culture like 99.9 percent of people crying about cancel culture are loser conservatives um but this like but there is you know there is power i can't deny that there is power of having people single you out and say you are scum and anyone who interacts with you in any way is scum like that has power in social and that has and honestly that really is like it, being trans definitely exacerbates it but like i mean that's like you know you can look at blacklisting you can look at there's so many instances of that like that's such a that is such a tried and true method of social control and it's so effective and that's why it is so heartbreaking and upsetting to see it so like willfully used um but no m fear is amazing i'm really proud of her you know i i love grit and glitter um that was kind of one of that should have been the foreshadowing really of my issues with sterling is that grit and glitter both grit and glitter and osw sponsored our match but um sterling and their team did absolutely nothing to promote grit and glitter did absolutely nothing to like to put them over to shout them out to give them any love it was all osw is you know more mainstream it's more famous we got to do all of the stuff we can to like play to them and fair play i mean you know it was great you know like one of the, the proudest moments of my career is like having Jay from OSW Review tell me that he thinks I have a good mind for wrestling. Like, <laughs> I'm never, I'm, you know, I don't care if Jay right now were to be like, I think you're scum and I hate you. I'm never letting that go, ever. Um, I think Grit and Glitter is doing something that is so important. I think that they are providing such an invaluable resource and it's gotta be it's it's tough you know it's you know like it's easy right to look at something like that 
and think like, oh, well, who needs like a space for women and queer like wrestling fans? They, you know, like everyone's woke and and cool and chill and progressive now, but they're not. Like I live in NorCal and it still sucks for me. I live in the supposed like, you know, queer Mecca and it still fucking sucks for me. So like, you know, I can't imagine what it's like out in Pennsylvania, you know, out in Appalachia, you know, like it's so invaluable. And I, I really wish they got more love and more support. We had actually, um, uh, one of the things that I had after, after the Sterling thing, I had tried sort of kickstarting my motivation by like trying to plan some of these grand like I, I had decided that like uh I was just I wanted to be I wanted to produce my own stuff because I I'm at a point now where I'm I now just I'm, I'm I guess I'm shy I'm worried about the visibility that I I now have and so I wanted to do more you know pursue my own creative vision because honestly I find I find promoting and producing shows so satisfying um it's really like it really um it tickles a lot of parts of my brain that like uh organizing did when i was like doing like radical political organizing um i love i love me a spreadsheet um <laughs> that's the thing no one tells you about anarchists you know everyone thinks that anarchists like don't believe in structure rules no we 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 love spreadsheets. We know all the formulas. <laughs> we know how to like, we love that shit, you know? Um, but yeah. Um, and one of the things that I, that I had pitched to Grit and Glitter was doing like a Grit and Glitter themed show. Mm. Um, and I hope to, I, I still hope to one day put that on. Um, I am, you know, uh, folk, you know, I, I'm now really, um, I'm down, you know, I'm really committed to, to full queer. Um, but I definitely like that dream of like a grit and glitter, like theme show is like, it's one of the, it's, you know, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those things I'm going to run back into that burning building for. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a great idea, you know, and, and I do hope that it does come to fruition because, you know, M and Harley and, and the whole glitterati team there, you know, I think, Obviously, they would they would definitely welcome it. They absolutely love pro wrestling, as evidenced by the show that they do. But I I can just imagine something with that sort of influence in an actual pro wrestling presentation with with you um working with them would be a whole lot of fun to to watch. Honestly, um, but you brought it up, and and I think this is a good segue into the work that you're doing now because you know you you have been doing a lot of work behind the scenes with full queer you yeah. know helping helping marco run and produce book shows and that sort of thing and as well as wrestling on some of them as mm. well you know i i did see the the formation of temple run the bases which is a fun little tag team there with uh with laura frazier who um is really had a a breakout Year oh yeah, for, they're, for themselves. They're having a moment, you know. Oh man, yeah. They just won their second. They they just won their second championship. I saw uh, concurrently. Yes. Yeah, 
they're they're getting everywhere they're traveling all over um yeah it's uh yeah they're great to work with yeah so i was i was actually on the first uh i was on the first full queer um i was in the tournament uh to crown the first ever princess of pride uh and it was great i loved it it was a wonderful experience it definitely did kind of it was also sort of an instigating moment for me and kind of seeing kind of the limitations that, you know, certain mindsets towards not just wrestling, but just like, you know, performance and sports. Um, I know the last time I was on this show, I ranted at you for 30 minutes about, um, (laughs) about like, you know, sports and my sports ideology, but, uh, yeah, I so I was on the first one and then there was some, you know, because of the Sterling stuff and because of the one of the stalkers um, that I was telling you about, um, I wasn't allowed back because they were running shows out of this venue that this guy had threatened to show up and like crash and assault me and that sort of stuff. And so when so I was out of the loop for a while with Full Queer and then Folsom Street Fair came up. And Folsom Street Fair this year, as it often is, is on my birthday. And so I was just, I was, I was up Marco's button around the corner about it. Just like, hey, have they given you a contract yet? Have they given you a contract yet? Have they given, just like nagging him to nag them. Um, Because I, you know, I just, I have this idea. We had this idea. Um. You know, I, 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 I want, I wanted to, I wanted an opportunity to help create a show that underpromised and overdelivered in the sense that oftentimes when you see wrestling shows at street fairs or at, you know, festivals or whatever, it's typically pretty low stakes. Um, you know, it, it, you know, often it's, you know, a case where like you get a handful of wrestlers and you just kind of have them wrestle each other over the course of uh, a day, or it's just, you know, um, stuff that's just like, it just kind of takes into account that like you're watching this and you will stop watching this in like the next five minutes. So, you know, we don't, we don't need to be um, over ambitious and like the stories we're trying to tell or the concepts we're trying to get across, which is fair. I have wrestled at comic cons where, you know, I've, I've wrestled like what I thought was a great 15 minute match. And someone comes up to me and is like, Oh, I really like this. Like, and they're like, Oh, I like this one thing you did. And it's like a thing I didn't even remember. Like, it was like, you liked that. I gave you 15 minutes of <laughs> solid material. <laughs> And, and you liked that I, like, you know, did this, like, that I spun my arm a couple of times at that point? Ah, oh, come on. Um, so we got the contract from from Folsom Street Fair. And we, we, like, Marco and I just, like, really drilled down on, like, making the most ambitious show we could. Um, and really, not just, like, not just, like, impressing our the audience, but also, like, challenging the notions that like non-wrestling professionals would have like you know we we came in and you know we we came in and we had all this documentation we had all these policies we had all these uh all this preparation done 
And, you know, the festival was like really impressed by like how meticulous we were, how thoughtful we were. We're like, oh, we need these logistics. We need this. We need that. Like, you know, um, I think it really challenged some of their notions of like of wrestlers of like, you know, cause a lot of people just think of wrestlers as just like, be, you know, meatheads, you know. Um, and then we, you know, we tried to put together this show, um, which honestly, I would have to say that Folsom Street Fair was the happiest day of my life. Like I got to help produce this show on my birthday, like in San Francisco at a seminal LGBT public event. <clears throat> and the show was really like really gravitating you know when you watch the youtubes oh man and i gotta tell you about the the what what uh what right what wrestling at a fuck fair taught me about algorithms but like <laughs> just like it was so so transformative to see like hundreds of people at a fuck party watching the wrestling and you know when marco and i you know because i you know marco and i both come from like community organizing you know i i did like um, I did like local organizing and I did some work around like um, anti-police brutality um, work. And Marco had like done work with the bear chess calendar. He used to um, help run the San Francisco gay men's basketball league. Um, you know, we, you know, we, we come from that mindset of like, all right, let's just hold some bake sales, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. let's fly, let's fly or let's just, Let's just walk, let's just walk into a business and ask them if they want to give us, you know, any, any swag for a raffle. You know, we, we, we both approach wrestling a little differently because we both, we're, we're both older and in our, in, when we were younger, um, we did a lot of like political and community organizing and that really informs how we do like go through wrestling. And so, you know, we're, we're doing these bake sales and we're like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we're shooting the breeze in bars and comic shops, just like trying to get, you know, just trying to get people excited about it. And, and we hear it all the time where people are like, wow, you know, I never knew that like wrestling could be so accommodating to gay people. Like, you know, I remember, you know, I remember watching in the Attitude Era, or I remember watching the Hulkamani Era, and it was very homophobic, and I've always been afraid to get back into it. And it's like, you know, just that, like, for me, and, you know, we'll see how that changes. Um, now, when I have to put on my first, like, self-funded show uh, <laughs> yeah. next year, uh, and I don't have a festival budget, but, I mean, for me, like, that is, like, for me, that is, like, the true sort of strategic victory. Like, I love being able to take something that people thought could not make room for them, could not accommodate them, could not make them feel less alone in the world and, and give them something that like makes them feel like they could belong to something other than, you know, what they belong to now, you know, it's very, you know, when we, when we have our locker room meetings, you know, we're very clear that like, um, you know, a lot of LGBT people have a lot of shame around things they like because, you know, um, you know, uh, Ben Shapiro or Tim Pool or whoever can like, you know, they'll rant and rail about like, oh, Marvel had a gay kiss, but like, man, we would have killed for a gay kiss in the in the 90s, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Jesus like, Christ. 
yeah you know like i um you know like a lot of people you know you go you go and see them and you know see you movie and you're mad of all about all the women and and lgbt people and colorblind casting well i remember when i read the hulk and the hulk uh was nearly gang raped by gay men at a YMCA. So, you know, maybe back off a little. Um, you know, there's a lot of, sh- there can be a lot of shame. And like our, you know, our, one of our biggest focuses is like to create environments where there, where that shame is like, is accommodated and confronted positively. Like we don't, like we try really hard to create a locker room environment and, 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 uh, um in-ring environment that is that is not like that doesn't like actively try to poke and prick at those feelings of shame and just like you know tries to take you and is like hey it's okay you know be 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 horny about this or don't it's fine (laughs) you know like however you feel um yeah you know uh oh man okay so i uh you know like we had you know one of the one of the the matches you know some of the matches i mean i'm proud of every match that we produced but like you know we had npr versus bartman and chicano flame um and bartman is like a champion of public transit and chicano flame was a a firefighter with the san francisco fire department for like 30 years 32 or 35 i think like a long time you know like like um and that is like i think is so beautiful like i think yeah be horny about public service i think that's great (laughs) personally and you know to like you know and to give and to give like chicana flame this opportunity to wrestle in front of a new audience in front of like thousands of people who might have never seen him before and never known that like you could just do you can go be a firefighter and then be a masked wrestler. There's no law that says you can't. You should just go do it if you want. Um, <laughs> or you know, we had um another match I'm really proud of. You know, we had uh Ray Kaiju, Joey Gonzo in a triple threat with uh, you know, Paro and Caljack. And you know, I think that when people see, you know, Joey Gonzo, you know, Joey Gonzo comes out there and he's like. I'm the king of the kaiju. And he's like the, you know, he's the smallest guy in the match. Yeah. But he's so adamant that he is the king of kaiju. I think that really resonates with people, you know, I mean, don't we all to an extent, don't we all have that experience of like, I don't, I don't right now. I do not inhabit like the person that I wish to be or the person I, I don't, I don't necessarily always externally represent the person that I feel internally like that's powerful and you know on the you know on the one hand you can you know you can have a a giggle about like oh look at this guy who's getting shit kicked out of him by paro but you know on the other hand it's like you know that's transformative it's beautiful to see this guy you know to see someone so committed to living their truth that they're you know willing to be just like you know power bombed into oblivion um by a 300 pound bear um you know, like, I think that that's, the, I think that wrestling can really speak to people. I think that we talk a lot about the capacity for wrestling 
to valorize achievement, right? When we look at like wrestling can be inspiring because you can overcome odds and you can overcome, you can fight and you can, you know, fight for what you can believe in and you can beat the bad guy, beat the champ, right? When I look at wrestling, something that really like inspires me is like, if you are a non-wrestler and you see some of the things that a wrestler has done to them in a wrestling ring, like it boggle, it, it would boggle. Sometimes it boggles your mind. Like I watch matches with non-fans all the time and I see, I hear them oof, ah, ugh, at every bump, you know, what I find, what I find particularly motivating and inspiring about wrestling is that it like to, to a non-wrestler, the punishment that a wrestler endures in a match is almost godlike. And I think that that is beautiful to take people and be like, you can endure, like if this guy can be choke slammed into the shadow realm and roll out of the ring, go home, come back, you can, you can endure anything, you know, life, yeah. life is a struggle, you know, like, Life is a struggle and we are all kind of, you know, under the whims of this like spanking machine and like you can endure more than you think, you know, I think that can be really powerful. And so I love seeing people be inspired by watching, you know, people endure something that they think would be like beyond their own capacity, if that makes sense. Um, It makes complete sense. I mean, also keep in mind that the last two shows that I've produced we're at BDSM festivals. So I'm very, <laughs> I'm very focused on punishment right now. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't book Paro yeah. if you're, if you're not doing a show at a BDSM festival. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, there is, there is a whole, a lot of truth there in, in what, in what you're saying, especially because like, I think, you know, a lot of people do have an aha moment, like the first time they get punched in the face and they realize that they can take a punch. Yeah. You know, it, it's this idea of like recognizing that you're not fragile. You you do have a strength about you, a strength that can be cultivated and grown over time. Um, and being part of this community, Lord knows we get punched in the face at a much earlier age than a lot of other people do. And and we learn to fight back towards it. Yeah. So yeah. it's even more of an apt comparison when it comes to looking at just like singling out not just the LGBTQ wrestling scene, but any wrestling scene that features or caters to a, a underrepresented community in that way. Yeah. I think that a lot of, um, I think something that full queer is trying to do differently than other LGBT focused companies is that we are really trying to glamorize the struggle and like see the struggle for what it is. Um, we're really trying to internally create a culture, you know, we, so we, um, uh, we redistribute our tips. Um, we, we facilitate, we solicit for tips at our shows and, you know, after, you know, expenses and stuff, we, you know, we tip out, uh, you know, our ring crew, we tip out our wrestlers and we try to, you know, be equitable of like, who needs, who needs this money more, you know? I, you know, like, yes, it would be cool for me to pay bill, you know, pay bills off wrestling, but like, you know, there are wrestlers from marginalized communities who are really putting, putting it out there and like putting themselves out there and like trying to like 
do the work and hustle and like make forward momentum. And I, I want to create environments that are explicitly about like, what can we do to advance your momentum in your struggle? Um, and so I'm really, I'm really, right now I'm thinking a lot about like how to do that through wrestling, you know? Um, it's not just about, you know, we're here, you know, we're not, it's, it's, it's gotta be more than we're here. We're queer, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. I've been, uh, uh, I, I've been monologuing <laughs> at you. I mean, the whole day. So let me give you another chance to throw a question at me. No, you're totally fine. Like this is all very in- informative and honestly, like I love what, what y'all have been doing with full queer. Um, I feel so bad. Cause like, I have an amazing team. Like we have an amazing team. Marco is an amazing person to work with and promote with and organize with. And I'm so grateful to get to work with him. And we, you know, um, we have really great wrestlers that are so on board with every like idea that we give to them that really run with everything that we offer them. And I you know, we just had a, we just had like our first staff meeting, like as a, as a company um, where we had an agenda and we kind of like, we brought on, you know, new people and started like delegating roles. And I feel really bad because all those people are great. And they're going to be like, they're going to, they're going to see this episode and be like, oh yes, Bambina is going to put us over. And they're just like, <laughs> why the fuck is she talking about Camus? And you just put the show over. Do they not know you though? That's fair. That's that's a good point. Good point. I think they'll understand. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I did want to ask you one more thing about about the the full queer events and that mission of like you know helping people in 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 their own struggles and finding you know these these pathways to empowerment through through what y'all are doing, Joshua City. I had Joshua on on the show uh, a couple of weeks back, um, and obviously that Barrison Street Fair show was a, a monumental thing for him. The first time back in a ring in nine years, you know, you know, being HIV positive, being undetectable, being back in a ring, you know, when so many different doors in pro wrestling were shut in his face when trying mm-hmm. to get back into this world, even though he was undetectable, and but just because of the ignorance around. Um, the science of that has advanced around the treatment of HIV and and the transmissibility of HIV. Uh, like seeing Joshua back in a ring for for the first time, and to see the smile on his face, and to hear the joy in his voice when I when he was recounting everything back to me on the show. Like that's what take this is obviously a personal interpretation for myself. That's what we fucking do this for, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, he, he is such a sweetheart. Um, yeah, um, that was like, I mean, I, I can't, I can only take so much credit for that because that was really like, you know, Marco really, like really took that on to be like, no, I'm, you know, my friend, my friend, someone I care about, someone I share the struggle with needs this. And like, I'm, I'll, you know, I'm going to get in the ring with him. Um, yeah, I, 
like you know it's we never really got over the genocide you know yeah <laughs> we just never we don't we don't talk about it you know often but like we are you know we are all survivors of a genocide <laughs> and we just kind of go on about our life as if like you know it you know it, it's like it we just have to keep you know i mean it's i mean that's what that's what covid's been all about right it's just like we just keep pretending the world isn't like on the verge of collapse we just we just we just keep pretending like we're not on the cusp of like um like a massive like um of like civil war essentially and it um it, it can get to you and it's really something i really appreciate about josh and marco is that you know josh was fearless you know he he was he told he told other people in the locker room and you know the the consensus with like other well locker room uh <laughs> one of the things that we um one of the things that we've gotten really good at is uh, learning how to uh, change out, like, like create a human locker room because, um, you know, with these like giant festivals of thousands of people, sometimes it takes a while for your tent to get set up. But, um, yeah, you know, he was, he was telling people and just being candid and, you know, like I remember another wrestler was like, Oh, well, you know, it's, you know, it's not the death sentence that it used to be. And it still is. You know, like, correct. You're right. Like our our knowledge of of medical technology has advanced to that point, but you know, every like every day we are confronted and reminded of all of the people we lost and all of the community we lost and all of the the ways in which you know that gen that you know the you know the AIDS crisis was a genocide. And like, we just, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough to like, like, it's so, it's so nice and, and beautiful when allies can be like, oh, you know, that's that, you know, it's, oh, all that stuff is in the past. You know, it's not, it's not like it was, and you know, it's like, well, that that's true, but that never leaves you <laughs> how it was never leaves you <laughs> like, and you know, it's really moving for me to see someone like Josh, like, you know, doing it and carrying that torch and like pushing forward and to have you know marco who had already wrestled <laughs> that day you know um you know carry that torch with him it was it was very it was very moving and it's honestly you know i when i talk about like wrestling is my purpose you know i i don't necessarily mean like getting in a ring and like putting someone in a headlock. Like I, I hope 
I can only hope that like if I fill all my spreadsheets out correctly uh, and I, you know, um, make sure everyone gets to the venue and everyone's got water, blah, 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 blah. If I do all of these things, you know, maybe, just maybe, like I will be able to witness like some spark, some glimpse of a future for my people that does not like a future for my people in which we are not living under the like shadow of genocide and yeah um it's a mighty goal dave dave better give them fucking six stars is all i'm saying Regardless of what Dave thinks, that it's all it's already a six star match just for yeah. the, the emotion and the moment that it that it that it was, honestly. And you know yeah, it's just there's powerful stuff going on down in the yeah. bay that y'all got that y'all they all got working down there. And I am you know I'm very excited to see what other sparks y'all have up your sleeve heading into 2023 and beyond honestly well i, I guess now's a good you know good time to plug the next show um, <laughs> for sure um our next show we are so um february 11th um we are full queer will be presenting super bold because it's the day before the super bowl um at armistice brewery in richmond california um we have a really good we have a really i'm really proud of the lineup that we have um uh i think you know people that you know some people that you have have had on here will be there um i mean i'll be there marco um we're gonna have kikio the fallen flower um we're gonna have bartman again um main uh main event will be um Levi Shapiro versus Cliff Hendricks for the Lone Star title, which is remind me to at least plug our titles before we end the interview. <laughs> um, no worries. It's gonna be it's gonna be, it's gonna be our first um, it's gonna be our first like self funded, no safety net. You know we we don't have the we don't have the venue provided, we don't have the the budget provided. It's it's all grassroots putting together a queer show that is different from other like you know unique in itself but also what i want is um i'm always thinking in terms of like almost like an, an evangelist i'm i am interested in doing whatever i can with wrestling to attract a non-wrestling fan um especially lgbt fans but i mean you know a general audience i i'm always thinking of like, how can you use wrestling to make expressions, to speak to struggles that really, you know, that really, that really like resonate? And I think that, you know, Super Bowl weekend, definitely an example of that. Um, you know, it's great that Bud Light and Coors and, you know, whoever, you know, promote the gay pride parade. Um, but, you know, Super Bowl weekend can be a very alienating experience for a lot of LGBT people. Um, you know, and oh, I mean, just also professional sports in general. I mean, we are in the middle of 
you know, the World Cup being held in a, you know, uh, yeah, in Qatar, you know, um, and we we we've all just witnessed like the you know the Western neoliberal world just like crumple in the face of like a a yellow card for wearing a, a rainbow on your arm. <laughs> Jesus. So, you know, I th- yeah, I think that like yeah. sports can feel very alienating and I want to take that back and I want to, you know, you know, like I said, I'm dead, you know, I might as well, you know, like, you know, let's have our own super, you know, let's have a Super Bowl party without football or straight <laughs> people, you know, um, <laughs> if, uh, you know, if, um, if, a, if a talk, if a hot dog can be a sandwich, right, then you can have a Super Bowl party without football or straight people. Um, quote me on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. Um, we have some really good sponsors lined up. I'm really excited to announce our matches. Um, I'm really, um, I'm really feeling the momentum that we have. You know, a lot of things are really coming into place for us, and I think largely because we're, you know, we're coming into this with the intent of elevating LGBT people elevating like queer wrestling and you know telling um moving stories and struggles and platforms forward that you know can not only be fun but also be vectors of equity yeah (laughs) (laughs) no i mean that's that's what we do that's what that's what like one of the purposes of art it's one of the purposes yeah. of these sort of things. So I, I love that the mission is continuing. I, you know, obviously it's a huge task and risk to kind of like do like your own like self-funded show there. And I and I wish y'all the best of luck. I have a, I have a I have confidence that y'all be able to pull this off based off of what has been built around that brand over the last year plus, honestly. Thank so you. Yeah, but it's awesome. It's awesome to see, and it's awesome to get a chance to to catch up with you again, Bambina. It's always fun when when you, you. Yeah, when you come you. on the show. Well, I mean, you know, I I imagine it's a day off for you because it's just me kind of ranting into the <laughs> void for an hour and a half. So, but you know what? You deserve it. You do a lot of work. Um, before we end, I I I should do my due diligence as a promoter and put over the full queer titles. Yes, um, by all means. So. Thank you. So right now um, we have we have four titles. Um, we have the Prince X of Pride Championship, uh, which is gender neutral. Um, anyone can fight for it. Anyone can win it. Um, our current champion is Keita Murray um, at Folsom. He defended it against um, uh, Kevin Blackwood. Yes. And I always forget, like, you know, in like a wrestler – it's like Paro. It's like, I know, I see, you know, like you're on social media, you use the last name. Do I say that or do I say the whole name? <laughs> um, it's like, I mean, with Bambina too. It's like, you know, if you if you come up to me in a locker and go, hey, great Bambina, I'm going to be like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great Bambina was my mom's name. Um <laughs> And then we have we have our Lone Star title. The Lone Star is the Lone Star Saloon is a very well established, long time, um, gay uh, leather bar um, in the city. Um, our current champion is Cliff Hendricks. He will be defending it against Levi Shapiro, who is a local of Richmond. So we're really expecting the local crowd um, to come up and out and support him. 
Um, we have our Harvey Milk and Sylvester tag team titles. Um, did you get a chance to see those? I did. I did. Those belts look beautiful. We, it was so wonderful. Um, during the Castro Street Fair, we got a chance to go to Queer AF, um, Queer Arts Featured, which is a, an art gallery in the Castro that used to be Harvey Milk's camera shop. Um, as you may or may not know, we just passed the anniversary of his assassination. Yeah. Um, it was a couple days ago. Um, and uh, uh, that is also, all of our titles are gender neutral. Um, we don't, uh, we don't do that. We don't, I don't believe in segregation of any kind <laughs> uh, in sports. Um, our current champions are Milo Boo Barbie, uh, Milo and Barbie Boy. Um, at Super Bowl, they will be defending them against the Flaming Aces, which are a tag ah, team. Yeah, yeah. I know the um, Flaming Aces, local boys. Yeah, at um, at Folsom, uh, Zay Perez uh, wrestled Man Roop in a poppers on a pole match. Um, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so something that is very funny, what is great about, so I, I'm not, I'm, um, I'm not, necessarily going to be one of those people that's like oh straight people shouldn't wrestle on lgbt shows one because i think that you can tell queer stories and like stories that resonate with the queer experience with straight people and also there are those amazing moments where you know our sponsor for full for fulsome was video head cleaner um and you go to their website and it's all like you know all about vcr repair um and we're, we're, we're going over the meeting with the locker room and talking about this. And at some point, someone goes, who owns a VCR anymore? And God bless straight people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just can't manufacture moments like that. So, um, and, then, <laughs> um, and then our, um, our newest title, um, is our Ed Roberts microaggression title. Um, uh, the microaggression title is can be defended 24-7, um, mm. anytime, anywhere. The only restrictions are it cannot be uh, defended on sacred indigenous sites. Like uh, in the barrier, we have the Emeryville Shell Mound. Um, and uh, the, the tradition is every person who wins the title can rename it. And mm. name a different civil rights icon to commemorate. And so when Bartman won the first title, the title, um, he um, requested that it be renamed the Ed Roberts title. And Ed Roberts um, was a disability activist, um, a disabled, uh, a disabled people's activist. Um, uh, Bart, the our subway system here in the Bay Area. Um, Ashby Bart, which is in Berkeley, is named the Ed Roberts Campus, um, and it is, uh, it's like a, it's a community hub for the disabled community. It has um, clinics and a coffee shop and programs. Um, when I worked in home care, I visited that place a lot with my clients. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's like an interesting you know something like you know we talk about like titles and stakes you know um so much of like winning a title is is about like being the person holding the title 
And I'm I'm interested in the idea of like, well, what if holding the title allow what if what if you could hold something that allows you to reshape the world in some way? You know? Mm-hmm. And so I see the microaggression title as like every person who wins it gets to put a, a spotlight on someone, you know, who is active in making the world better. And that in that in some way like changes reality, you know? No, I love that idea. Um, we're really excited. I can't announce it yet, but we have a pretty a pretty stellar um uh title match, uh title defense lined up for Keita Murray um in 2023. Um, you know, uh how, what do they say? What do the what do the kids say? Keep 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 your eyes on this space. Yeah, that, that sounds right. That yeah. sounds right. <laughs> yeah, keep your eyes on this space. Um, because we are looking to give Keita the biggest, most dangerous opponent he has ever faced. Oh, and Lord. we really think it's going to we really think it's going to change fundamentally change how people view LGBT wrestling. Um yeah, that's everything I have to shill right now. Okay, I'll also <laughs> mention a uh, shout out to um, Marco Mayor, um, my uh, my co-producer, um, my struggle partner, um, Ellie and Ryan, um, who recently joined the uh, full queer team, my tag partner, Lawyer Frazier, my trainers, Stoner Brothers, and Anton Voorhees, um, and um, I haven't seen the new Wednesday show, but I've heard good things. So I'll just throw that in there too. No worries. I haven't yet okay. either. So we'll see. I, I, I need to find time to, to sit down and check that out. So now this has been a blast as always, Bambina. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. No, of course. Let everybody know where they can, where they can find you online as well you you can't um i see yeah <laughs> i got you um yeah you can't i don't do that anymore um yeah yeah no uh, I, I completely understand i had we had a very um yeah so i i recently wrestled on a few shows at um victory outreach which is a church in oakland and when the promoters were talking with the with the pastor and they said oh well one of our wrestlers is trans is that okay and just right out of um right out of his mouth immediately was like oh can we name her rosie and <laughs> and then he immediately was like you don't have to it's fine and then the promoters came back was like uh so they'd like you to rename yourself as rosie for those shows but they won't elaborate why and i was like I don't want an elaboration. That's the best. That's the best story I'm going to get out of my ring name. So uh, that's who I am now. <laughs> oh, I was wondering where that came from, but that's that's honestly a, a great it, origin story. <laughs> it's also it's also a shout out. Um, you know, Raleigh Fingers was a um, it's a very pro- was a um, pitcher for the A's. Um, uh, his, his his jersey and number commemorated um, inside uh, inside the the Coliseum. Um, so you know, and Rosie Fingers is just 
it's funny because um, it implies masturbation. Um, it definitely does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's great because it, it allows me to, to, to come up with different avenues of expressing myself. Okay, you know what? I need to be clear <laughs> that I mean gimmicks. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I... <laughs> I mean changing gimmicks. I did not mean... Um, yeah, just gimmick yeah. changes. Exactly. <laughs> I just stepped right on that rake, right in my face. It happens to the best of us, though. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> practically, he gave that rake a red carpet and then stepped on it. <laughs> Oh, no worries. Well, Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) My thanks once again to Bambina for uh, taking the time to sit down and and chat and be so open and and candid about the these difficulties and and obstacles that they have uh, you know worked through and and continue to uh, to work past to try and bring. something positive to the pro wrestling world for our community and beyond our community. So definitely uh, check out full queers YouTube channel. If you want to catch some of the matches there, they, they, a lot of stuff from the Folsom street and Barris street fairs have gone up over there. So definitely want to go check that out. Um, that being said though, I think we are going to say goodbye because one, I feel like shit. And two, y'all need to go to sleep. Even if it's middle of the day, y'all need to go to sleep because this is like queer Santa or queer Father Chris. I don't know. Whatever queer version of the holiday person entity that brings you presents. Because tomorrow on Friday is the first day of the QWI 200. Um, we're going to have a special podcast uh, on the final day this coming Thursday, the uh, the 15th. Uh, and then, of course, we are going to have uh, the QWI awards as voted by you, the fans being announced on the show on December 22nd. So we've got a nice slate of LGBT in the ring here as we round out the year for all of you lovelies out there. All right. I'm going to go just power down as many cough drops as I can fit in my throat and y'all have a great rest of the week. Uh, And until we uh, meet again, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands, wear your mask, and get vaccinated and boosted if at all possible. Um, Listen to my voice. (laughs) And you'll understand why I say this at the end of every goddamn show. The same goes for monkeypox as well. Um, And just whatever your thoughts are, responses, or emotional reactions to a list of wrestlers, and, and whether you're present on the list or not, or not high enough or too low or, or anything like that, just understand the reason for the list in the first place, please. And do not get in my mentions. Bye. She made a deal with the demon so her lover could live But the moon is high and the devil is